Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Lord God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending, by paths as yet untrodden, through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. How does Wittenberg Academy help scholars prepare academically? How does Wittenberg Academy help prepare scholars spiritually? How does Wittenberg Academy help prepare scholars socially? Joining us today on the Wittenberg Hour are four Wittenberg Academy alumni who are currently attending college. As these scholars have busy schedules, we actually had to record in two separate sessions. So I'm going to give an umbrella welcome to Joanna, Douglas, Sarah, and Nicole. It just so happens that their schedules aligned, so we have two scholars from colleges and two scholars from universities. Wittenberg Academy is celebrating its 10th academic year. One of the things we talk about at Wittenberg Academy is that we prepare scholars for life in this world and the next. One of the things that some scholars do in this life is go to college. So we want to ask, how did Wittenberg Academy aid in your preparation for college? Now, to be clear, I ask all of these questions within the context of the family. Wittenberg Academy exists to aid parents in fulfilling their vocations as they equip their scholars, their children, uh, for life in this world and the next. And so Wittenberg Academy would never assume that all of the aid and preparation uh, that goes into the formation of a young scholar, uh, we would never want to take credit for all of that. So uh, we definitely uh, couch all of these questions within the context of the fact that these scholars come from families and Wittenberg Academy was just a small piece of the formation of these scholars before they headed off to college. So let's begin. Sarah, I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. How did Wittenberg Academy help prepare you academically for college? Sure. Okay. So I know that for some kids, a lot of kids actually, college is a really, really big change. Um, the work is harder. It's more plentiful. They're not sure how to manage their time and are overwhelmed with all of the opportunities to procrastinate that weren't there before. Um, but Winberg has given me such an advantage in these aspects. Although I may have been taking only around three classes at Winberg compared to my seven here, plus three musical ensembles and two lessons, I can honestly say that although there is more work, it's really not that much more. Wittenberg is not easy. It's not like other online schools that you can breeze through with min minimal effort. Um, it takes true work to get good grades in a class at Wittenberg. Likewise, the professors here really don't let you off too easily. 
of course, there are certainly those genids that nobody really likes and are maybe our easier, seemingly pointless classes. Um, but for the most part, I think it can be so overwhelming to a lot of kids. And it becomes either read every single word of the 57 pages assigned yesterday and do tonight, or don't read them at all because they're too overwhelming. Um, and that's another thing. Wittenberg really taught me how to read long and difficult texts, forced me to learn how to pick up the important parts and manage what time I have. And that is so valuable in college. So, yeah. That is fantastic. So you are discovering that while college is rigorous, it's not this vast uh, chasm between what you experienced in high school and what you're now experiencing in college. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my parents told me that and I didn't, I didn't believe them, um, but it, it's true. Totally. So do you think because of that, you're able to kind of enjoy the moment? I don't want that to sound cheesy, but that you're able to kind of uh, enjoy what's going on around you because it's not this great uh, transition that other uh, of your fellow scholars might be experiencing? Yes, completely. Um, that's another thing that Wittenberg taught me, um, and that really helps in kind of just being able to actually enjoy myself, um, and that's time management. Um, I mentioned already that I've already seen a lot of students struggling with procrastination, which is something I have, and I am certain I will experience again. Um, but college is chock full of opportunities to procrastinate and to just waste time. There are new friends to hang out with, um, events that the school is putting on, and quote-unquote study groups to join. Um, and although I know that I am also extremely susceptible to these things, um, I feel as though I've kind of gotten a good grasp first on what that temptation looks like and also how to identify it and handle it. Um, sitting alone at home with no one to really hold me accountable for four years made me very familiar with how distracting anything and everything can be. Um, but having had that experience, I also know how stressful it is to wait until the last moment and how hard it is to see other people who are thriving just because they're not stressing themselves out by not doing their work. And I know how to make it happen and to be able to, you know, say, I'm going to work right now. I'm not going to spend time with those other people so that I can go to the organ concert tonight or volleyball on the football field or whatever it is. So, yeah. That is fantastic. That is that is wonderful. So, Nicole, same question. How did your time at Wittenberg Academy help prepare you academically for college? Well, like Sarah said, time management was a huge thing. Also, I remember something you said a while ago, Mrs. Benson. I think it was in Philosophy Club. You talked about having a conversation with a prospective mom who wanted to send her children to Wittenberg. And 
she asked how how do how do we catch up to Wittenberg's standards? And you said it's not so much a matter of catching up as a matter of recovery. And that actually struck me really, really hard because I was myself before I started Wittenberg in kind of, I was taking a secular literature class and it did not have Wittenberg standards whatsoever. It felt instead of trying to find the beauty in the literature, it felt like we were tearing it apart and taking away the humanity and beauty from the literature. And it was one of those discussion classes where you could just say whatever you wanted and nobody would correct you if it was totally wrong. And it's just like, oh, whatever go- whatever you want goes. And I actually came away from that class. I love to read. And I came away from that class wondering if I would ever actually be able to take pleasure in reading. And Wittenberg was a huge help in helping me rediscover that pleasure in reading, realizing there was some objective objective beauty and objective reasons that we read this. It's not to justify any thoughts that you might have already. It's actually to dig in and realize, oh, literature has things to say about humanity, no matter where you are. And it's this conversation that's going on throughout time. So I think that was a huge thing, was just helping me to recover joy in reading and in learning. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you and I have had conversations about the classes that you are taking right now in college and took last year in college as well. How did having conversations in that context, in the context of Wittenberg Academy, how did those conversations help prepare you for the conversations that I know you have in classes now? Well, conversation conversation is such a huge part of learning. Like I said, it's not just a conversation with people. It's also a conversation with the texts. And again, that conversation throughout time. And yeah, Wittenberg was definitely a huge... It was so good to be able to talk about St. Augustine, or or just in general, all these ideas that people have had throughout time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, have you experienced in, at, at university, have you experienced um, reading texts that you read at Wittenberg Academy? Have you had that, that experience? Yes, actually. Yes, actually. And it was actually a lot of fun. I had World Literature 1. And we read the Iliad, we read the Odyssey. Um, We had a couple that we hadn't done for Wittenberg. Oh, we read the Divine Comedy. So it was really fun to rediscover those in a different setting. And especially the Iliad, because the Iliad hadn't really struck me when I was younger. And now it's like, oh, I've had these, I've talked about this with people. And I've read it before. So it, it just had an opportunity to jump out me, at me a little bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is one of those things with, with timeless texts, right? We talk about the enduring things that when you return to those, that 
it's it's like having a conversation anew right yeah. you you get something new out of it every time you return to those texts sarah have you had that experience yet i have actually yeah um in my humanities class arts and ideas we read um plato's allegory of the cave and i'm thinking oh man i've already read the republic twice right <laughs> um, <laughs> but no it was it was fine it was a good time i will say um the conversation surrounding it certainly was not as edifying as it was at wittenberg but that's okay um it's a gen ed class and wittenberg is elite it's you know it's hard to match yeah, that that totally makes sense. Uh, just in terms of sometimes the the participants in the conversation can really impact the the level or depth of conversation you're you're able to have. So mm-hmm. um, certainly those you know that doesn't change the richness of the text, uh, but it can change the the richness of of the conversation. That that is most certainly true. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, ladies, Wittenberg Academy is a Lutheran school, so catechesis is integral to teaching and learning. How did Wittenberg Academy help prepare you spiritually for college? And this time, let's start with you, Nicole. Sure. (laughs) One thing that was a huge adjustment coming here was realizing that not everybody here who's Lutheran necessarily believes the same things I do. Back home, it's either like you're confessional Lutheran or you're not Lutheran or you're not like Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or something. So that was a change, figuring out that there are people who are Lutheran who don't necessarily believe what I do. And having the opportunity to talk about faith in Wittenberg all the time and have people who will actually answer questions no matter how hard they are and sometimes embarrassing they are. That was amazing. And also the fact that so many of Wittenberg's teachers are pastors. That gives so much credibility. And I feel like I'm more grounded in these same questions and know how to answer and say, okay, so we might not believe the same thing, but this is why I believe what I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So just the the culture and the fact that this this is just who we are. We we live and breathe Lutheran uh prepared you. It it didn't it didn't detract uh it sounds like it didn't uh you know coming out of a Lutheran bubble uh it didn't uh make you ill prepared for having these conversations with with people who may not see eye to eye with with you in terms of of matters of faith um but actually uh helped equip you for those situations yes absolutely and it was still a little bit of a culture shock but i did know it it took a bit but i was like yeah and this is why on the basis of scripture i believe what i believe right it's not just because you feel something right (laughs) right All right, Sarah, same same question. How did Wittenberg Academy help prepare you spiritually for college? Mm-hmm. 
I love what Nicole just said. I think that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say as well, um, is that Wittenberg was so foundational um, and so grounding. And the fact that we have so many pastors that, as teachers, we, we have all Lutheran confessional teachers, um, it's really, that's really what makes Wittenberg home for me. Um, but my love for theology really flourished under the nourishment of Wittenberg's classes. Um, and because of it, my desire to become a deaconess was kept alive. Um, and one of the things I love the most about Wittenberg is that we start every class with an opening devotion. Invocation, Catechism, Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I cannot think of a better way to show your students that Christ is and needs to be the foundation for any studying that you do. Without him, obviously, we can do nothing. Um, and if you're not leaning on him, you're counting on yourself, and that will lead to disappointment every single time. Because you will fail that test, you will say something wrong in class, make a bad impression on someone, you will fall short every day. And really, what motivation do you have to continue if you can't do anything right? Um, right. But if you know that Jesus died on the cross for you, loves you, and daily sustains you in spite of all of that, you can continue in your studies, not for yourself, um, but out of motivation to serve and glorify him, which is how it should be. Um, and I think that is just so important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there's there's this danger, it, you know, obviously catechesis puts our, our focus where it should be. But there's also the danger on the on the other side of of things that we can gain all this knowledge and then somehow think of ourselves, you know, more than we should, right? Uh, <laughs> just in terms of all of a sudden we're we're kind of looking at ourselves as a god uh, because we've we've amassed all this knowledge uh, and and seemingly we've amassed all this wisdom. And if, if we don't keep that perspective in terms of who we are um, because of whose we are, then we can really fall off the other side of, of the mountain. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> perhaps mountain. Uh, you know, learning sometimes feels like uh, an ascent up, up a mountain. So, um, but not having that right perspective um, you know, learning is fantastic, but if, as you said, we don't uh, keep that focus on why we're learning, right? That it's that it's not about us. Um, it, I mean, it certainly is our task to continue to to grow and be formed. Um, but if if we don't have that focus on, if we don't have a right focus then we can really view ourselves um, poorly, either that we are uh, much worse than we are or much greater uh, than we actually are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's, it is so wonderful here at Concordia Chicago because we have, you know, we have chapel every day at 11, and then we also have our evening worship. Um, three days a week, and like Compline and evening prayer. 
um, and then Holy Communion on Wednesdays. Um, and I can tell it is so obvious to me on days like like Saturday or Sunday or whatever, um, when I don't get that twice a day worship and the balance is so out of whack and I, I am not thinking of God. My thoughts are not where they should be and they're totally worldly, um, totally just consumed with, like you said, either I'm learning and I'm amazing or I'm learning and I am just awful. So it's, so important and so obvious that that change and that importance of balance so yeah absolutely that's that's fantastic and just having that habit set in you you know even when you are out of college and whatever the Lord has for you guys, that habit, that discipline, um, that, that catechesis and worship and all of these things, they're, they're non-negotiable, right? And, mm-hmm. and so as you, I mean, you guys know me, um, I, somehow things always come back to marriage, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) as you guys are, um, being pursued, uh, by gentlemen, and as you are thinking about, um, what, what is your non-negotiable in terms of, uh, a spouse, in terms of a husband, that if he doesn't view these same things as non-negotiable then it's not really an option i would i would say yep all right final question this hasn't been too painful has it no, no, no. It's with you, Mrs. Benson. It's been fantastic. <laughs> well, I was thinking I get to hang out with you guys, so you know it's it's all good. Um, Wittenberg Academy is an online school, so sometimes people question whether our scholars can be properly socialized. And Sarah, you had had mentioned this, you know, sitting at home by yourself. Um, how how did Wittenberg Academy help prepare you socially for college? I love this question. I think it's really interesting um, because like you kind of indicated, a lot of people pitied me because I went to an online school, I think, and didn't have much in-person social interaction outside of church and musical endeavors and whatnot. Um, but honestly, I have such wonderful friends from Wittenberg. Uh, the community the community that Wittenberg builds in its classes, especially your Paideia class, since that's the one you know will be with you throughout all four years, is just so precious. Um, but anyway, one of the highlights of the beginning of my senior year at Wittenberg was actually my involvement in the Welcome Club, uh, which is where upperclassmen get assigned a number of freshman students and help them navigate their first few weeks of class. And I just loved connecting with the new freshmen, um, helping them out as best I could, especially because I remember what it was like to be them, to have new classmates with whom I'd never spoken before and feeling like they were all so much more intelligent and wise than I. 
Um, and honestly, having that practice, getting to know those freshmen, it kind of prepared me for what I was going to feel like once again in college. And it also reminded me of what the seniors here must be feeling towards me. Um, I think it's easy to imagine that everything is like the movies and the seniors are the gods of the school who look down on everyone else. Um, but that's really, it's just not true. Um, just like I didn't feel that way at Wittenberg, um, they're not thinking of or treating me with disdain or condescension, but hopefully, um, with the hope and excitement I felt for the freshmen starting at Wittenberg, um, I wish them no ill will, only wisdom and strength in their learning, and for them to find a home like I did at Wittenberg. And in that, I think I find a lot of comfort and hope. So thinking about that, you know, that you as a veteran scholar are welcoming these new scholars and it's not just a matter of um, welcoming them into rigorous academics where they're going to work really hard, but you are welcoming them into a community of people that is going to love them regardless of who they are. And I think that that's a really important piece in terms of, you know, I think there's something to be said about the journey of rigorous academics and how it just kind of bonds you uh, to the people with whom <laughs> <laughs> you are journeying. And, yeah. uh, and, and so, but even the scholars maybe that you didn't have classes with, because you are uh, sharing a common experience, it bonds you together anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the tabletop cafe, um, that little place that us as students that we have um, on the, on our school web page or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's so special to a lot of people and so much fun. Um, somewhere that they can just kind of online do a little hangout and communicate with other people who are going through the same thing and like you said bonding through that experience and it is such a special experience to go to Wittenberg um, and it's just really wonderful absolutely oh that's fantastic Nicole how about you how did Wittenberg Academy help you prepare socially for college? I'm just thinking about my very first day of Wittenberg and how it definitely did feel like a community. Even though it was online, it was like, ooh, we get to be in classes and then chat in the halls. That's what it felt like between classes because everybody's on and it's like, ooh, it's the first day we get to have fun. So definitely that community. And people have talked about how how amazing it is that we can get to know people of our confession from all across the U.S., from all across the world in some cases. So that's really cool. And it's nice to have the same interests, which even my weirdest, most unconventional interests, there are people in Wittenberg who share that to my love of Celtic mythology. So that's really fun. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yes. And it, it did help coming here. I came here and really didn't know anybody. I was just like leap of faith jumping in without knowing anyone. And 
at first it was like, oh no, again, culture shock. And um, actually Wittenberg was quite a stable, stable friend group, I suppose, because nothing had really changed there. And so it was like, ah, I can kind of talk about the things that I don't know if I can talk about with people here yet. And then pretty soon I was talking about those same things and finding my people and realizing that, hey, it's not that much different at all. It's just one's in person and one's not. And again, we've got the same interests and the same confession and we can talk about these ideas. That's another thing with, like, I don't know, people are like, oh, you're not interested in philosophy topics or anything like that. And Wittenberg showed that you do, definitely do have people your age who want to talk about predestination or original sin or whatever. And we've got that going on here as well. After evening prayer every Tuesday, we'll get together and talk about theology and philosophy and psychology and stay up altogether too late. But yeah, <laughs> it was it was definitely formative. Yeah, and that's that's one of those things that uh, I don't I don't know if if you guys have experienced uh, this, but it seems like the best conversations uh, happen at hours when really no one should be talking. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, well, the. Uh, this is this is fantastic, um, ladies. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I know that your words will be very edifying for our listeners uh, and encouraging. Um, I I am so proud of both of you and uh, look forward to remaining in contact. You know, it it's one of those things that um, y- you know. You guys certainly made friends, you know, uh, among your peers, uh, fellow scholars, um, but definitely for me as well, um, just uh, bonding with all of you guys. Uh, I look forward to, you know, meeting your your grandchildren, um, you know, and and all of all of this uh, down the road. Uh, not that I'm skipping, you know, your <laughs> your children. I, I, I certainly want to to meet them as well, but. Um, just really looking forward to uh, those those experiences, uh, continuing to live life together down the road. The word worth repeating for episode sixty three is university. And once again, we're going to use our words worth repeating portion of the episode to look at how words have changed. And as per our usual, we will be looking at Webster's 1828 Dictionary and the new Oxford American Dictionary. So let's start with Webster. According to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, university is, and it means an assemblage of colleges established in any place with professors for instructing students in the sciences and other branches of learning and where degrees are confirmed. A university is properly a universal school in which are taught all branches of learning, 
or the four faculties of theology, medicine, law, and the sciences and arts. So that's university, according to Webster's 1828 dictionary. According to the New Oxford American Dictionary, university is an educational institution designed for instruction, examination, or both of students in many branches of advanced learning, conferring degrees in various faculties, and often embodying colleges and similar institutions. So university is from the Latin universitas, the whole. In Latin, it meant society or guild. Uh, from universus, which is related to universe. So it's interesting to think about how in the Latin, you know, this uh, comes to us from the Latin, and we see it as the whole, right? Uh, it's a group of colleges to instruct students in the whole or in all, all the branches of learning. Whereas now a university is more so a place for specialization. You see that coming across in the New Oxford definition where it is students in many branches, but there's no assumption that the students are going to be educated in all of the branches. You go to university to specialize in something. Now we see still in, for example, general education courses, right? These courses that are supposed to provide this quote-unquote, university, uh, this universal body of knowledge. Uh, it branches across content areas and what such. That this is the remnant of this university model, that there is, in fact, a body of knowledge that all educated humans should have. And... University, in Webster's sense, captures that, whereas university in the modern sense, in the New Oxford American sense, leads us more to believe that university is a place where you receive advanced learning in a particular discipline rather than in all of the disciplines. reading for episode 63 is again an essay from Richard M. Weaver from the volume In Defense of Tradition, Collected Shorter Writings of Richard M. Weaver. And this time, in the spirit of 
looking at university and hearing from some of our alumni who are at university, engaging in university learning. The title of this essay is Academic Freedom, the Principle and the Problems. So let's hear from Richard M. Weaver. I'm going to quote here at length. He begins, Some of our most inflamed controversies in recent years have involved the question of academic freedom. It is possible, and even likely, that such controversies will become more numerous to the prejudice of academic freedom itself, unless there is a clearer understanding of the meaning of the concept and of the source of its validation. Anyone judging a particular issue of academic freedom needs to grasp first the essence of the principle and second its place in the general constitution of society. The definition of academic freedom must, in the nature of the case, be a stipulative one. That is to say, it cannot conclude with being a mere description or generalization. It must be a statement of an ideal and a policy. All definitions that involve moral ends are of this kind. Academic freedom, then, is the freedom of scholars and researchers in institutions of higher learning to teach and to publish the results of their scholarship without interference from the institution itself or from outside interests. From one point of view, academic freedom is but a new term for a very old idea. For considerably more than 2,000 years, there has been a tradition of free inquiry in Western civilization, which is one of its greatest glories. From the time of the Greeks, there have existed in most periods quote-unquote wise men, philosophers or scholars, who made it their work to seek out the structure of reality and to proclaim it by one means and another to the less initiated. The first Greeks began looking for the structure of reality in the constitution of matter. What was the prime element out of which all other things were made? Later, other kinds of realities were recognized, and the scope of inquiry among them was brought in immensely to include the nature of the gods, the nature of man, and the nature of political institutions, subjects which descend to us today as divinity, ethics, psychology, political theory, and so on. The Middle Ages, which created the first universities in the modern sense, produced scholars of powerful intellect and accorded them a good deal more of academic freedom than the generally erroneous picture of the period would suggest. The chief subjects of study were theology and the salvation of man, and Revelation furnished some propositions which they were not free to challenge. Yet the truth had to be inquired into and expounded, and within these limits there flourished a fairly extraordinary intellectual life and respect for the independence of learning. Paradoxically, the very unity of their outlook upon the world left them at liberty to argue diverse theories of reality. With the coming of modern times, marked by the rise of science and the multiplying of conflicting political systems, the pace of inquiry has been greatly increased, and the role of men of knowledge who can bring that knowledge to others has become even more significant. 
At the same time, tremendous political tensions and potentialities of catastrophe have developed, so that to discuss academic freedom as if these did not exist is either puerile or disingenuous. Running through all these phases of history, we find a common thread. The value set upon the fruits of free but self-disciplined inquiry. The person entitled to academic freedom has never been regarded as an irresponsible spouter of opinion. Indeed, he is not a dealer in opinion at all, but a professor of demonstrable knowledge. For the teacher entitled to voice his findings freely, two things can be thought of as touchstones. A special capacity to acquire knowledge and a conscience which keeps him close to his findings so that what he says is at the opposite pole from propaganda. Richard M. Weaver then goes on to speak more about this idea of academic freedom, and I would commend to you this entire essay, keeping in mind, of course, that this essay was published in 1963, and... Yet, we see these same issues and the truths he brings forward for us are timeless, once again, as we ponder these very issues even today. So, academic freedom. What is it? Do we need it? Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.